Support for Starting Small comes from Human Scale, the leading designer and manufacturer of high-performance ergonomic products that help create a healthier work life. All of the products from chairs to standing desk and more are comfortable, easy to use, and sustainable, and great for either the office or the work from home environment. With an increase in shifting workplaces, comfort can be especially hard to find. As I run the podcast, I'm in front of my desk for hours a day, from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and more. Human Scale allows me to remain productive without the consequence of body stress to follow. Make sure to check out Human Scale at humanscale.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. That's code STARTINGSMALL at humanscale.com and enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Stacy Madison, founder of Stacy's Pita Chips. While running a food cart selling sandwiches called Stacy's Delights, Stacy had an incentive idea to pass out pita chips to people waiting in line to retain their purchase. While obtaining massive demand in retail locations nationwide, Stacy sold to PepsiCo in 2006. Today, Stacy can be found running her company, Be Bold, selling energy bars high in whole grain with protein from plants. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Stacy Madison of Stacy's Pita Chips and Be Bold Bars. Stacy, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Cameron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So I would like to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? So, you know, I grew up very much in a traditional family unit. Um, I have an older sister, a younger brother, and I was born in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which a lot of people don't know. Um, My parents were in college down there. And then I... um, we moved to upstate New York, to Kingston, New York, up in the Catskills. And um, from there, when I was about 13, I moved to Massachusetts. So as far as my, you know, that's obviously geographic, but, you know, as far as my upbringing, my dad was a psychologist. My mom was, um, you know, at, at different points throughout her career, she was a teacher and she sold real estate and you know, and sometimes she just was a, a stay-at-home mom. So, awesome. So, for yourself, would you say that you had an entrepreneurial mindset? Say, lemonade stands or sunny products as a kid? Oh, sure. Uh, did I say? Uh, wait a minute. I said a young, an older sister, a younger brother. My younger brother is the one that is um, that was in the pita chip company business with me. Okay. Um, so I was definitely, you know. Not more so than any other kid, but, uh, you know, we used to do things like obviously sell you know, lemonade. Uh, we would paint rocks. Um, we used to do this thing. Our, our neighbor, we lived on a, on a street, it was called Sherry Lane, and our neighbor was slightly older than us, and he was able to drive a ride-on lawnmower, so we would tie all our wagons together. <laughs> and, you know, we would have the Sherry Lane train, and we would, you know, he would drive us up and down the street and around the block and we would all sit in our wagons and it was great. Amazing. So I saw you went on to study at the University of Massachusetts then. Um, what did you study there? So um, when I went to I went to UMass Amherst and I studied, I got my undergraduate degree in psychology um, and then after that, I went to Cal State Long Beach and got my master's in social work. Amazing. With your time there, were you involved with any athletics or clubs? I always wanted to be, but no, I can't say I have that skill set. 
I think I would have been really good if I had the talent, <laughs> but, I, yeah. but you know, um, and my kids definitely got that, that kind of talent, but you know, I tried out for cheerleading in high school. I did not make it. I just made a fool of myself. Um, you know, I did play, you know, tennis, but again, I was not very good to actually play against anybody uh -huh. else. I couldn't really play. Um, they let me on the team. I, you know, I was backup, 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 backup. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So following your time in college then, and uh, prior to Stacy's, what kind of jobs did you end up going into with this psychology degree? Um, so prior, oh God, I did so many jobs, Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> I bounced around so much. So in, it's funny because in high school, I scooped ice cream. Um, I worked at a, you know, a farm stand that had, I, that sold ice cream and, and milk and had cows and things. And they only had two windows, two walk-up windows. And now that same farm stand is still there, but they have like 10 windows and the whole line system across this parking lot and stuff. So, um, and I worked there, my brother worked there and a scooped ice cream all through high school. Um, prior to that, I did work very briefly at, you know, I guess I worked briefly at McDonald's for like six months and I got fired for giving away a bag of free food. So <laughs> I probably shouldn't have done that. Life lesson learned. Um, and then I had, um, uh, let's see, I, I got my license at, after I graduated from, with my master's, I got my license in, um, clinical social work. Mm -hmm. And so I did work at a program down in DC with homeless, pregnant, drug addicted women. And I, it was a group home and I loved it. And I just didn't make very much money, like, so not, not even enough money to survive on. And, um, before that, uh, let's see. Um, I did a lot of waitressing and mm. cocktailing and, you know, my whole way through college and grad school. I mean, that's really what I did. And I have to say that was kind of the fun part of my life. I mean, I'm well educated, but I'm, you know, I always loved that area of the business and I always migrated back toward it. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, waitressing, you can really get a job anywhere. You know, after college, I went for, I went over to Europe for a while and I got a job in London at a Texas Lone Star Cafe where they love to hire Americans because, you know, it went with the theme of the restaurant. So it didn't, mm. it really doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you have that skill set, you know, you can always use it. Absolutely. hundred percent. So I'm curious, leading into... Stacy's Pita Chips, and what a lot of listeners might not know is it started as Stacy's Delights. I'm curious, what <laughs> what got you into the food industry specifically and cooking yourself? So I was living out in California, and it was so easy to get a healthy meal out there or to just eat healthy all the time. There's just just simply because of the access that you have to healthy food. And uh, then I was living in Hawaii for a year and same thing, you know, the access to, to simple, healthy food was always there. And um, so I think that in combination with uh, my history of 
waitressing kind of it always brought me back to the food industry and then when i came back east um you know obviously couldn't afford to open a place of my own so that's why uh my partner mark and i we started with a food cart because you know you got to start somewhere yeah and we felt like that was a good stepping stone into you know the restaurant business or or some type of food business and so we 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 bought a cart we bought a food cart to you know for those people who don't know the story we bought a food cart um it was a hot dog cart at one point <laughs> and we converted the whole thing into a like a deli station mm -hmm. that had you know sections with and we put, you know, we had sprouts and tomatoes and, and um, uh, we decorated the front with like green and fresh fruit and vegetables. And so it really had this whole aura of health and health yeah. food, which was so different than the food carts back in the 90s that were out in Boston. You know, mm. it was all hot dogs or sausages or burritos or, you know, so here we are, we come out and we're serving healthy roll up sandwiches rolled in pita bread and like you said it was called stacy's delights and um you know people would it was before the days of the internet and stuff but people yeah. were got around in the high-rise buildings that oh wow you, you got to try this food cart you got to try this food cart and so a line started forming and we were doing really well and um you, you want to always have an over overstock your inventory of bread <laughs> because you don't want it when you're when the only thing that you're selling is sandwiches you yeah. really don't want to run out of bread for sure is you know those these roll-ups so we always had this excess inventory of this fresh bread and so right when we got back to we could we prepared all the food my sister had a catering company in downtown so we prepared all the food there right when we got back to the kitchen we would cut it up and and flavor it into different flavors and bake it into chips and then hand them away, hand them out for free the next day to people standing in line. So that's wow. kind of how the pita chip company, the whole pita chip story began was when we were on the food cart in downtown Boston. That's amazing. I'm so fascinated by the idea of an incentive of passing those out to hold retention of customers. So I'm curious, did you get a response back from the free chips you were handing out to add those to the menu. Did you eventually add those to the menu then? So we did bag some of them and sell them off the cart, but more so we got people that were like, I'm having a party. I want a bigger bag to take home. Um, you know, at the time we were just making Parmesan garlic and cinnamon sugar. <laughs> and some, you know, people were saying, oh, well, you know what? I make a garlic hummus dip. Can you make me a whole bunch that are just plain. And that's kind of how the Simply Naked came about. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, it's really was just listening to our customers and, and, you know, and during, there was like this little overlap here that we really wanted, you know, we were still had this mission to um, find an indoor place. Cause when you're in new England and you're on a food cart by October, it gets really cold and miserable. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we tried to utilize that time when we didn't have the cart out to, um, you know, market, the, you know, package the chips and market it and research and, and do everything that we needed to do in order to try to sell them 
over the winters during that time that we had. So, um, and we also approached, we were trying to get an indoor location. We, I approached Macy's uh, to do Stacy's at Macy's because they were downtown. Um, you know, we were trying, still trying to get our, our location, but um, that just never came through because yeah. we were the little guys, you know, we were the, um, we were stand they you know the real estate agents were like you can stand online that's behind Oban Pan and Starbucks and Dunkin Donuts for every single tiny little space in the financial district where you're at mm -hmm. and so we really didn't have any clout um, and yeah so so that's also why we you know continued to focus on the pita chips cuz we we did not want to just stand behind a cart our whole life <laughs> for sure so <clears throat> having the cart there, did you notice a demographic trend in the customers who were actually showing up to the cart or was it very dispersed? Definitely. Oh, definitely. You know, we, we, you know, people were very gracious. They were really happy that we were there. They're like, oh, finally we can get something healthy other than a chicken Caesar salad or a green yeah. salad from the pizza place. You know, that's really, so people who were trying to have, uh, you know, to to live a little bit of a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. Um. Really didn't have very many choices. So yeah, we had a lot of people, um, that were very appreciative and that kind of fit that demographic. So you'll come into the cart. Yeah. So, you, you mentioned that a, a big piece of this was you were trying to get out of the cart and pursue the pita chip business at this point. I was wondering what time period was this and what did that step look like for you and your partner to exit the cart and fully pursue the pita chips? Well, I mean, we had the cart from, um, we incorporated Stacy's pita chips in 97 and we sold in 2006. So there was a nine year window when we incorporated in 97, we had had the cart for two years. Mm -hmm. So we spent two years on the cart and I have to tell you over the winters, um, prior, even prior to the cart, I mean, we needed money. We needed $5,000 to renovate the cart itself. Mm. So we would take it before we renovated it. We would take it out to the bars in like downtown Providence and try selling. And I hate to even say this because it's so against what I stand for, but you know, we would tell, um, sausages and hot dogs and to all of the drunk people coming out of the <laughs> bars. Um, I, you know, sometimes it was so cold. I would be standing there in my snow pants and Mark would be outside and I would be, I would just be sitting in the car um, in my snow pants, eating a condiment sandwich, right? <laughs> I'd have mustard and kraut and all this. Oh, man. And I was like, oh, it's kind of a time in my life where, you know, you don't, you don't like to, yeah, I mean, you appreciate it now for all that you went through, but it was really, really a hard time. And then we got enough money to actually renovate the cart and start doing what we wanted to do. Wow, amazing. So you started selling specifically Stacy's, or Stacy's Pita Chips at this point, and I was wondering, where did you go for production? Was it actually you and your partner still producing the chips and packaging them, or what did that look like? Yes, yeah, so um, it's interesting, you know, a, a lot of people, go to co-packers and not yeah. to say that we didn't look at that route. Um, but there really was no such thing as a pita chip. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there is no company that we could 
go to and say, can you make this for us? I mean, we researched everything. We really thought outside the box and we went to crouton companies. We went to tortilla chip companies. We went to, you know, we went to a lot of places and we couldn't find anybody that can make it for us. So slowly we just started making them on our own. Initially we made them in my sister's catering kitchen, as you know, then we met another woman who had a food cart downtown uh, it's called Boston pretzel. And she would, she had a, a, manufacturing facility for her pretzels where she would make pretzels at night and they would get distributed out in the morning and so we she said you should try to make them in our oven so we went over to you know linda's place and we um started making them she had a larger rack oven that held you know 40 or or so trays rather than the four trays we were cooking at once yeah um and so we tried them in her oven and it worked. So she would bake pretzels at night and we would make pita chips, uh, make the pita chips during the day. And we would hand package everything. And we just started selling them to gourmet food stores and, you know, direct shipping them, you know, bringing them down to the post office and stuff and shipping them out from there. So that's kind of how it started. And then from that, from then, then we kind of came to the point where we needed a packaging machine. Mm. And we had to decide, like, you know, were we going to, and, you know, in the packaging machine, it costs as much to install it as it does to get the machine. So we questioned, like, should we, you know, keep working with Linda and, and install equipment in her place? Or should we maybe look for a place of our own at that point? And so that's when we started, we moved into a place of our own and started manufacturing the chips and buying equipment and stuff from there. Amazing. We had a couple of moves before we landed in the city. We, where we finally ended up, which is the factory that's still there today, is in Randolph. In, um, it was a Sealy mattress facility. Mm-hmm. And you know, we basically rented the entire thing. It was a big square box and we set up, you know, it was 300,000 square foot facility where we ended up. Um, years later, but, um, prior to that, we were still in Randolph and we were in, you know, so we went from my sister's small kitchen to the pretzel bakery where we had, you know, 500 square feet, then 5,000 square feet in Randolph and then 10,000. And then our landlord who was on the other side moved out and gave us 25,000. And then from there we moved over to our own, we ended up buying our own building and setting up a whole plant. Got it. So being in 1997 and moving on through the progress of the movings, I'm curious, then what were your main marketing strategies for the pita chips? There wasn't really pita chips around, like you said at the time. So how did you market your new product? Yeah, it was a big challenge because not only did you, because you're taking on a product where you also have to educate the consumer. To t- mm. You have to kind of teach them what it was. Yeah. And that's a great, a great question, Cameron, and not one that I get off, asked that often. Um, where, you know, the, um, the demand, you know, the demand was there um, when people tried them. So that's why we did so much sampling. So we had to get, get the product in people's mouths. And the other thing was, you know, based on that question is how we design the bag. But like mm. people don't know what a pita chip is. 
So therefore, we need to, they either need to see the product or they need to, um, you know, obviously taste the product, but they need to see the product or they need to see a picture of the product. Yeah. And at first, we had a bag that had a window in it so people could see it. And what happened was, is, you know, that was our first big investment. We spent like $10,000 on these bags. And what happened was, is uh, the pita chips are sharp. And when we started hand bagging them and shipping them, they would pierce through that front window Ooh. and fall out the front of the bag. And we're like, oh my God. And you know, this is very typical of the whole entrepreneurial journey is that yeah. this stuff <laughs> happens all the time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the bag, the, the, the chips would fall out of the front window of the bag. So, you know, then we had to move on from there. We, we moved straight to a packaging machine and we had to get a picture um, photography on the front of the bag. Uh, you know, it was a big step for us because it was expensive to do that. But, you know, hey, yeah. lesson learned, right? And yeah. with those bags, you know, you learn a lot of lessons too. We were shipping our bags over the mountains in the Rockies. We didn't know that they would all explode. We had a, we once had a whole truckload of chips explode on the top of <laughs> when they were going over the mountains. Oh, so no. we either had to deflate the bags or reroute the trucks. So, you know, <laughs> little things like that are just like, oh my God. <laughs> wow, what a journey! So, yeah, what were the what was the feedback like when you, when you um you you changed packaging here? You have a photo of the chip on the bag. What was the feedback from customers with that being so curious and not having to try it before? So, so you know the the that was a very strategic move, and it mm -hmm. definitely paid off. The other thing that we did was we um. We did not go to the snack food aisle because mm. there was no way that we would be able to compete in that aisle with our bag of chips where people are paying at this point four or $5 for the bag of chips yeah. and you know, put it next to this one pound bag of Doritos or something. It's really not, we weren't able, we weren't, we would never be able to compete. So right from the very beginning, we targeted the deli. Mm. Okay. And, um, you know, that was Mark's idea. He's like, well, maybe if we approach the deli buyers and we went into the deli section and it goes good with hummus and it goes good with other things that are there. And they were more amenable to putting out a bowl of chips on the counter and sampling and things like that. So by going to the deli party, it got us more exposure. There were more people in that aisle. People spent more time waiting for their deli. So they were so it, you know, they had the opportunity to actually pick up and read the bag yeah. rather than, you know, the flyby. So those were all things that in the end, you know, we may not have thought of in the beginning. Oh, the, oh that's going to, this is what's going to happen. You don't know. It's easy to say, oh, that was a good choice as mm. you look back. But, you know, you don't know how it's going to work out. But that definitely was better real estate. Yeah, for us. And even when it came to the acquisition of the company, you know, that's really what they were purchasing. One of the many things about our brand was that it bought them real estate outside of the snack food aisle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So as demand began to really grow for you guys, I'm curious as a management POV, what were some of the first roles that were very crucial for the success of Stacy's that you have achieved today? 
Um, so I think the roles, the roles, obviously, you know, Mark and I, um, you know, Mark and I started the company together. My brother was there right from the very beginning as well. Um, Mark and I were, you know, Mark was a friend of my brother's. Mark and I were also friends, lovers, married, divorced, still stayed business partners. Yeah. So we really had to, as you know, as the company got bigger and there was more and more responsibility and more and more to do, we were able to um, delegate our duties and make it more clear. Okay, this is what you know, then kind of ask ourselves, well, what is it that you want to do? Yeah. And, you know, all of the other stuff that has to be done that maybe you don't want to do, we can pass off to somebody else. And honestly, that's how we decided who was our next hire. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was a social worker doing math and doing the books probably not my skill set and not where I should be where I should be. So we definitely had to get somebody for finance. The same thing with sales. You yeah. know what? I I was like I hated doing sales. I still hate sales today. Yeah. And I'm still, you know, I'm fine to go on a sales call with somebody else, but I can't stand it. Cuz <laughs> You know, just because, uh, you know, people ask, oh, well, can we have this? Can we have this? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll just take them for free. You know what I mean? I just want people to eat the chips. And it's like, well, that is not a very good sales strategy. Yeah. So and on top of that, you know, you, it's very confusing with all the grocery stores and the promotions and all of that stuff. It, it really, um, you know, we were signing deals with distributors and then we would sell $5,000 worth of product and get a check back for like 900. Mm. And we we're like, what? Well, we had a deduction for this and a deduction for that. Well, you're part of this program where you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. So our very first person that we brought on board, that was like our, you know, a big deal was a salesperson. And the first, you know, months of the time that he was there, he, did nothing but straighten out the mess that we created mm. <laughs> with stores and all it got us out of all of these deals and all that. So within the first like three or four months, he ended up paying for himself just in the amount of stuff that he saved us. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I literally handed him a pile of chargebacks that was about six inches high of paper oh, man. during the days of paper. And I just gave it to him. I said, here, you could start with this. And <laughs> he was like, oh my God. And he did. And you know, at wow. that point he saved us like $60,000. It was really <laughs> a big deal. That's amazing. Wow. So I want to move on to then your exit. So this is 2006. You were acquired by PepsiCo. That's amazing. And I'm just curious emotionally on, on your point of view. As founder, what did the acquisition like? Or what did this feel like since you grew the company from the ground up? Well, the moment that we got paid was kind of anticlimactic because mm. it's not like when you win the lottery and they come walking in with some big check. <laughs> yeah. It just is like a wire transfer <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden the number changes in your bank account. So, 
They're like, okay, now what do we do? You know, we're all kind of sitting around the computer and looking. Yeah. Um, so for, so that moment was, you know, I was kind of, oh, well, uh, you know, and, and, you know, there's no big hurrah or anything like that, but it was really, <laughs> it was like, wow. And, and you know what? I still went into work every day. I still wanted the transition to be, um, to go well. Um, so it was hard. I, you know, it was hard for me just, you know, I think Mark at this point was done. He was mm. like, goodbye. Uh, and I was definitely more emotionally attached to the company in that sense. And, um, you know, I went in, I still went in every day and I was trying to help in the transition. I think ultimately what I realized and all of the frustration that I encountered was that maybe I was just more in the way, I was doing more harm than good. Because mm. I now didn't have the power to make certain decisions. Yeah. And, you know, and when, you know, smaller stores, you know, when they started to go on a larger scale and, and they had minimum orders that maybe some other people couldn't afford or, you know, and I would always just, I was like, hey, anybody who wanted to sell the, to wanted to buy the chips, we're going to sell them. I don't mm. care what how many yeah. if it's like one box or 10 boxes or so that was kind of so uh, the way that we felt but you know they needed to streamline a lot of stuff so it was very hard it was a hard transition <coughs> at the same time i had toddlers i had twin girls they were three years old i really needed um to I mean, it was, it, my life was just insanely crazy. Mm. So I really needed to, um, it was the right time yeah. to sell, let's just say, <clears throat> because my life was completely chaotic. You know, I'm a single mom and two little girls and the company was out of control. And, you know, people would call and say, can I get this? And I would like, well, let me check. And then I, you know, so, you know, and then the employees were like, well, do I go to her? Or do I go to the new CEO? Or do I need to know all this kind of stuff? So I think it was probably better once I actually left. I think Pepsi yeah. was very nice to keep me, keep me for so long. Um, and I have to say, even today, I mean, we sold in 2006 mm -hmm. when I still do stuff for them. Okay. I still do stuff for them now not because i'm contracted or i was hired yeah i do stuff now because um they have a stacy's rise program they're helping other female entrepreneurs i do it now because i want to i mm -hmm. do it because what they're doing is the right thing and it's helping other women and other people and not just in the u.s but other places and um you know I, i'm proud to be a part of that for sure that's amazing so, and they're doing stuff for other women that I never could have afforded to do. Very true. Yeah, that's awesome. I was I was curious what your relationship still looked like uh, with the company. That's that's really cool. So well, it's funny with Pepsi. They they have you know a lot of the people who work there have been there for twenty years or thirty years or for, they have a lot of long term people. Yeah. And I think part of that is because they do rotate them around. So every couple of years, I get a phone call saying, oh, we're the new marketing team and we're going to do So um, every, so I realized that on some level, a different level, I am Stacy and I will always be me. And I think 
Um, so I am in a lot of ways, the stability behind the brand, even though I'm not doing anything in that sense, but mm. you know, the new team comes in they want to meet me. We go for dinner. We talk about, you know, just like you and I are talking right now, Cameron. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then, and then, you know, any ways that I can help or if they ask me for anything, then, you know, I always try to do whatever I can because um, yeah. it's still in my heart and it's still an amazing brand and amazing product. And, you know, people grew up on them at this point. So, yeah, for sure. So when you stepped down then and kind of moved away from the company a little bit more, you ended up founding another company called Stacy's Juice Bar. Uh, this is around mm -hmm. a couple years later. If you could talk about that process and what that gap was in between there. So I like to say Stacy's Juice Bar was is is a um, glorified food cart. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, I feel like I I was going right. You know, when you're not sure what to do with your life, and people are like, "Well, how do you find your direction? How do you know what you're going to do next? How do you?" I mean, those are all of life's hardest questions. Yeah. And um, I think when you're not sure what you want to do, you have to take a step back and say, well, what what makes me happy? And what do I enjoy doing? What do I love doing? And then how can I revolve my life around that? And I, I, did, I did enjoy the cart and I loved serving people lunches. And, um, you know, I liked not having to set my alarm in the morning. I like, you know, little things like that. So those are the answers to the question. So that's how I started. Uh, you know, after a while, I was approached and I was doing some private equity deals with, you know, I was working with Fireman Capital. They're an amazing company. They were super nice. I got to kind of stay connected in the food industry um, by doing food deals with them. But I realized, you know, look, I'm not swimming in the pond with the fish that I know, <laughs> you know, yeah, when I'm sure. at a meeting with a bunch of bank people versus a bunch of, um, you know, the natural food business people who, when I knew them, had beards down to their belly button. <laughs> so, uh, and we're called tree huggers, but that's just yeah. not politically correct anymore. So, um, so that's why I started. And, you know, with the girls, my twins, I wanted them to see that I still worked and that I enjoy and how work can be something that you enjoy and you can mm -hmm. still go to soccer games and you can still kind of do, you can still kind of do, do it all all yeah. the stuff that you love. So that's why I started the juice bar and, um, and again, brought healthy food to the Needham community. Mm. So we had soups, salads, juices, smoothies, acai bowls, you know, kind of that whole, that whole kind of thing. And I did close it last year because of COVID and, and um, because, uh, you know, now I had launched be bold bars, which yeah. was a product that we developed at the juice bar but again now i'm looking at kind of like with the cart where i had the we you know we had the pita chips and we had the cart then you know, you get to a point where okay well now we're in the middle of a pandemic and i have the juice bar and i have the bold bars and you have to make a choice and sure. it was just um so that's why we decided to go with the bars and just use that time you know well we know we're in a pandemic and it's kind of like well how are we going to make the most of this time and launching a new brand rather than I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. I don't have this. I don't have, you know, For no, sure. like turn that around and what can we do and what are we going to do? And I think that that is one of the big skill sets that my brother and I, that Dave and I have faced over all of those years 
of the pita chip company and learning that, you know, how to get learning that crisis intervention. For sure. So I'm curious then at this time, uh, closing down during COVID, what made you decide to go with the bars? You said it was on the menu, the existing menu, the bars instead of any other product that you had at the time. We sold so many of these bars. It was to the point where we couldn't make enough. Mm. Um, and it had the same feeling of the pita chips. Yeah. And so, and it's really, this is the first product that we've launched since the pita chip company. And I, hopefully, um, that has, that carries some weight out yeah. in the marketplace. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's not easy to launch any product during a pandemic because we are all out there in the unknown together. You can't predict consumer behavior. All sampling has been taken away. All of the things that you thought you knew how to do, it's just, yeah, <laughs> just kind of like sure. popcorn flying without the lid and the pot, just flying <laughs> all over. <sighs> yeah. Did I answer your question? No, no, no. That, that was no. That, that was spot on. That was spot on. Okay. <laughs> so for um, for the listeners out there, then this has been launched in 2020. Are you 100% e-commerce right now with Be Bold Bars, or are you in retail? Uh, we are in retail. We're in, um, but they're in the refrigerated section. And I was, it was kind of okay. like it was funny because there are other refrigerated bars out there. And for a while when I had the juice bar, it was very hard to cut. I felt like I was sitting on the sidelines Yeah. of, you know, here, here's this whole refrigerated bar game. And here I am selling, you know, I have a juice bar. I'm selling 300, sometimes more of these bars a month. Wow. And, you know, if we could just do that on a larger scale, um, in the refrigerated section of stores, then, you know, maybe we could, you know, th this is, we're on to something, you know, I mean, sure. I have the juice bar, we've already done that test market type of thing. So, um, yeah, what was the question? Sorry. No, no, it was, it was just, is, uh, be bold e-commerce or uh, retail? Oh, you pretty oh, much oh, answered yeah. it. Yeah. So, sorry. So we are in Publix down South, okay. um, Myers, uh, and again, we're in the refrigerated section. So Myers, Stop and Shop, um, Myers, Stop and Shop, Publix. Um, we are on now. We're on Amazon, so we okay. do have some, and we also sell them directly through our own website, Be Bold Bars. Um, and we have a great adventure giveaway that we're doing right now too, where you get like this whole camping set up with like, like a you know, a chair and a Cotopaxi backpack and wow. um, a lantern and it's on Instagram. Um, I don't know how you get to it. I think it's at, well, the Instagram is at Be Bold Bars. Perfect. I'm sure you can find it through there. Or my personal Instagram is on, um, at underscore Stacy Madison. Amazing. Perfect. So Stacy, I'd like to conclude each episode with this then. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, what would that be? Maybe something you've learned or regret? Just anything. Um, I would have to say, you know, obviously everything starts with the product. Um, I'm very, you know, very big on um, taste and that you have to lead with taste and it has to taste great. And 
then all the other attributes kind of fall fall into place. With the bars, you know, all we take is nut butters, some high quality nuts, chia, um, wildflower, honey, maple, oats. We just mix it, press it, and pack it. There are no syrups, there are no protein powders. And we did the same thing with the pita chips where you know we just baked them and we seasoned and baked them and that's all that we did. And that made them, you know, everybody was like, oh, natural food, natural food. But it's like, hey, we always were that way. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the bars. So I would have to say everything starts with the taste and everything starts with the product. Um, and the other thing is um, expect, like, go into this expecting a pandemic, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. If you are like, you have to have thick enough skin and trust me, I did, I shed plenty of tears through the lifespan of the pita chip company because one thing after another, you have, we had fires, we had, you know, all kinds of different you know, we, tragedies that would happen and you know, things, you know, things would, you know, we, we thought we had enough and it's a six month lead time and somebody bought it out from under us. And then, you know, all these things just, I'm, for, I'm pardon my language, but shit happens yeah. and it happens all the time. So don't be discouraged. You have to just have that perseverance and expect that you are the person in charge of that company and you are going to have to manage and muddle your way through it whether it's a pandemic or a fire or whatever um it's you have to be good at at managing that roller coaster ride or yourself for sure well stacy thank you so much for joining me today and to the listeners out there make sure to check out stacy's at stacysnacks.com along with her current company be bold bars at beboldbars.com hey thank you for listening to this episode of starting small if you would leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.